Hello, welcome to the Shining Brightly Show. This is your host with the most, Howard Brown. Oh man, we are going to shine today. It's amazing. It's sunny. We have springtime here in Michigan and we have our lovely guest, Candace Platter. And oh my God, wait till you hear her story of overcoming. It's amazing. Candace, welcome from <laughs> what, Vancouver? Washington? Vancouver, no, Vancouver, Canada. Canada. Yay. Vancouver, Canada. Most beautiful place in the world, I think. Hello, it everyone. Is. Oh my goodness. Well, I got introduced um, to Candace via um, Michelle Abraham, who's also in Vancouver, Canada. And this story, I have to tell you, I, I, I watched uh, uh, her videos and a TEDx talk, which we'll get into. Candace, you are a thriver, survivor, a warrior, a hero, all of that superwoman. I, I'm just telling you that <laughs> I... I, I can't, I, first of all, I don't even know how you do it. So we got to learn how you did that. So let me introduce you and then you're going to fill in some blanks. All right. Candace Pratt okay. is the author of Love and Addict, Loving Yourself, Top 10 Survival Tips for uh, Loving Someone with an Addiction. And you know this from personal experience because you were diagnosed with Crohn's disease and they had no idea how to treat that. So that's a story. So they started giving you lots of medicines and pills and um oxycodone and Demerol and Valium, all, all the stuff which uh, you took to. Uh, you even actually then took to marijuana and alcohol. So you, you've lived a little bit there and, um, and had to survive that. And um, you also graduated from the Adler School of Professional Psychology. You have a master's degree. Um, you have private practice and you have clients. And I just, I mean, I want you to fill in the blanks here. T tell, tell me what I missed. Tell people in my audience what, what they should know more about you. Um, well, I will say that I'm going to be 36 years clean and sober in July. So I'm 35 years clean. Um, and I'm an addictions therapist now, working specifically with families that are dealing with somebody's addiction that are grappling with this and don't know what to do. And that's who I predominantly work with. And I've been doing that for the last three decades. Yeah, we, we hear news that there's an opioid, uh, opioid epidemic in, in our countries, and I want you to speak to that in a second. So um, first yeah. of all, I have to take a quick pause and say, oh, my God, hell yeah, 36 years clean. Oh, my God, in July. Amen, sister. It's incredible. Thank and you. That is amazing. I just want to acknowledge that because yeah. that is not a small achievement. That is a lifetime of work. That is a lifetime of work. Yep. Yes. All right. Tell and, my and worth, and worth every minute. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> tell, tell my audience something we uh, that not everybody knows about you. Something different. I I think that there are a few things, but the one that I will tell you is that I saw the Beatles twice in person. That is cool. Once, yeah. Once in '65. Uh, 64 or 65 in Atlanta, Georgia, and once the year later in Toronto. That's awesome. I, I can't tell you how many times I saw the Grateful Dead, so we won't go there. By the way, and if for those <laughs> that on the video side of things, you have a beautiful um, art piece of a butterfly behind you. It's You can't mistake it. It's just gorgeous. And so, maybe we can talk about what the butterfly means I, to me anyway. Yeah. Well, let's let, No, let's start there. What does the butterfly mean to you? Oh, well, you know, most, okay, first, uh, the butterfly starts off 
as a caterpillar. Right. And the caterpillar gets no respect at all. The caterpillar, you know, goes along the ground and boys love to squish it and little girls love to shriek and say, oh, and, and, and teachers like to dissect it in biology class. And this is the life of a caterpillar. Yeah, true. But a caterpillar has an instinct. And the instinct, they know that if they don't change, they're going to die. So they shimmy up a tree trunk and onto a branch and they hang upside down and they create the sack of what I like to call bug juice. And they sit in their own bug juice, which could be kind of related to addiction recovery where we're sitting in our own bug juice. So they sit in their bug juice and they basically change their entire DNA almost completely. The only thing that's left is this part here. If you can see it, the middle part, that's the caterpillar. That's the caterpillar. But it changes everything else and it grows these amazing wings and it turns into this beautiful, amazingly fragile, but strong, vulnerable, but amazing creature. And when it's absolutely ready, out comes the butterfly from the bug juice. And nobody says, ew, a butterfly. Everybody says, ah, a butterfly. And the, you know, the way I relate to it is that I was a caterpillar for a very long time. And I have now been a caterpillar, a a butterfly for quite a long time as well. And it's not negotiable for me. I am not going back to caterpillar. I love the way that we started the show. that transition. Thank you for that. And again, let's all be butterflies as much as we can and uh, and not go back to being a caterpillar. So I love it. So, all right, well, now we got to go back, uh, back and, 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 and talk about this. All right. Did you yourself know, oh, you have a butterfly coffee mug. Did you know you were an addict? Did you know you you were, you were an addict? I didn't know that I was an addict until about 15 years into an opioid addiction that was just devastating and that was brought on by prescribed medication for my Crohn's disease. Um, I had no idea I was an addict. Addiction wasn't on the radar at that time. It really wasn't. Nobody was talking about addiction in the mid-70s or 80s. So what happened for me is that I reached the bottom. They talk about people reaching their bottom. My bottom was pretty low. I was using all kinds of substances that were depressants in the human system. And I became so depressed, not knowing why. I mean, I had this really difficult physical illness that I was dealing with, sick so much of the time. But on top of that, like psychically, I was really depressed. And I got to a place where I really wasn't sure I wanted to live anymore. And I remember one night um, standing in my apartment, I had my bottle of pills because I had so many pills. I could easily kill myself. And I had a plan and I was going to time it so nobody would find me. And I was starting to scare myself, you know. So I had this bottle of pills in one hand 
on the phone in the other hand, and I called the Vancouver Crisis Center and somebody on that, on the other end of the line, listened to me and respected me and helped me see that I had a choice about this. I didn't have to continue to use all these drugs. And it was just amazing. But I, um, I wasn't done yet. And I, I signed myself into uh, a psych ward for about a month so that because I was afraid if I had my clothes, I had my car keys. I didn't know what I was going to do to myself. And I needed to be under some supervision and to get some counseling, to get some help. So I did that. And um, while I was in there, I heard about Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous. I had no idea what those were. I had no idea I was an addict. That was your initial question. Um, No, I didn't know I was an addict. But I soon found out that I was. And knowing that, for me, um, was the best thing that I could ever find out. Because then I knew what was going on and I knew I could do something about it. So, you know, some people don't like it. If you call them addicts, you're labeling them, you're stigmatizing them, all that stuff. I don't, I don't buy into that. I think that's just a way of avoiding self-responsibility. For me, I was really glad to know I was an addict because then I could become an addict in recovery. Then I could become not an addict. So, yeah, I, I, listen, yeah. I, I'm a two-time uh, stage four cancer patient, survivor, and advocate. I, it's who I am. It's part of me. It's part of my journey. It's the cards I've had to play. So, you know, label or not, yep. I'm a cancer, I'm a cancer patient for the rest of you know my life. And I have been twice. So I hear yep. you. Um, now, now I wanted to, so, you know, you, so now you bottom, you, you reach bottom, you talked about that. And then also you said that uh, you didn't know you were an addict until you got some supervision and some, some education now. And, and one of the questions, how do you know if someone you love is an addict? For the you know anyone out there in the listening world or the watching world out there who who how do you know that what what is something that they can uh, look for? Uh, there there are many signs you know in terms of people changing their behaviors and um, doing things differently that can let you know that somebody's got a drug problem. Really, what what the industry says is that the only person that can really say whether they're an addict is oneself. And I kind of agree with that. I think that's, that's something that we all come to in our own time. But if you think that somebody in your life has a problem with drugs, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. And what you're looking for is um, changes in behavior, are they hanging out with different kind of people? Are they isolating? Are they losing jobs? They can't keep jobs, depending on how old the person is. You know, if it's a youth, um, are they are they changing their friend group? Is there are their grades going down? Are they not coming home at curfew? You know, there's a lot of things that you can be looking for, but mostly um, temperament is going to change. And emotionally, you know, they're going to start being much more reactive in most cases and or very isolative and not wanting anything to do with anyone. So you're looking for the changes in what's happening. Most people know whether they've got an addict on their hands. And an addiction isn't just 
drugs and alcohol. Addiction is video games that they play into the night and can't go to school or work the next day. Gambling, uh, porn. There's just so many. There are so many things that we can use as addiction. Um, really, addiction is a symptom. It's really only a symptom of what's underneath it. What's causing it? What's going on for the person? What's really happening for that person? And if you love an addict, then you're kind of in the same place where you have to look at what you need to do, what you need not to do, and what's going on for you underneath too. So yeah, the, the family member as, as as part of your practice, the family member and the or the caregiver or the partner or the friend also needs to actually get some um some coaching, some education uh in order to be able to 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 live and deal with this. So one of the yeah. questions, why why do you why do why do uh, people go down the path of addiction? And then this is the secondary question is that are you born with it or is it um it's something that just life throws at you and 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 you use that as a survivorship or survival technique? Yeah. Whether you're born with it, you know, the scientists haven't been able to prove that yet. And I've been waiting for that for for like 35 years to see whether they could come up with that, because we don't know whether there's the genetic predisposition. We don't know that scientifically. But, um, you know, when people grow up in a home where there's addiction, you learn what you live. And, and usually children go one of two ways. They either, they either drink their first sip of beer when they're five and just keep going, you know, because mm. it was left out at the last party. Um, or they never touch the stuff. They never touch it because they see what it's done to their parents or to other people. Um, the reason that people use addiction is to feel different. Most people use addiction to feel better. They don't feel good about themselves. They don't like their lives. They want to escape from that. They use it to feel better. Some people who don't believe that they deserve to live any kind of happy life, even under the influence, use it to feel worse about themselves and, and to really guilt trip themselves and cripple themselves that way. Um, but really, it's because we don't feel good about ourselves. We don't feel good about our lives, and we don't know what else to do about that. And it's, it's the same with families. When families have uh, somebody with addiction, they don't know what to do about that either. So the families have to learn what to do and what not to do. Yeah, and, and they need to, to, to learn those or else that uh, life can be pretty dark. And, um, and then bad things can Very happen, dark. right? Bad things can yeah. happen. And that's, that's uh, where learning to grab onto a little bit of light to be able to turn it around. And again, it's uh, not easy, uh, not easy to do, to get back up again, for sure. Now, you also, um, you, you state that addiction is really a choice. So what would you, what do you mean by that? Well, what I don't mean by that, I'll start I'll start there first. What I don't mean is that people choose to become addicts. I don't think anybody chooses to become an addict. I don't think anybody says, yeah, let's do that. That'll be fun. You know, nobody says that. I sure didn't say that. But once we're in active addiction, 
I can tell you as an addict that we know what we're doing to ourselves. Even if we're high as a kite, we know what we're doing to ourselves. And we also know what we're doing to the people who love us, to the people around us. Once we're in active addiction, we have a choice about whether to stay in addiction or whether to come out of addiction and go into some kind of recovery. And those of us who are in recovery, like myself, every one of us knows that we are in recovery because we are making a choice every day, sometimes every nanosecond, you know, of the day to stay clean and sober, to stay away from whatever the addiction is. We're making a choice to do that or we wouldn't be in recovery. And many people, well, I don't know if it's many people, but enough people to mention it, um, you know, can have years of sobriety and then relapse. And they make a choice to go back into addiction. It's, you know, whether you think about it as a disease, which I don't, because I have a disease and I know the difference between addiction and something like Crohn's or cancer, whether you see it that way, which is how they see it in 12-step programs, or you're looking at a genetic predisposition or something else, underneath all of that, addiction is a choice. You either are in addiction or you choose not to be in addiction. And it's really that simple. It's not easy. It's not always an easy choice to make, but it's a simple choice. You're either in addiction or you're in recovery. So, so if you're in addiction, are you uh, in different forms, destructive, escapism, uh, looking to get out of pain? Is that all of the above? All of the above. All of the above. Okay. And, and, and a lot of people start their addiction through pain, through mm-hmm. physical pain, and they're prescribed medications like I was. You know, when I was... When they started prescribing these meds to me, it was in the early 70s, and they didn't know better. I don't think they did, you know, in the doctor's defense. Really, we weren't talking about addiction. I don't think anybody thought about it. They just wanted to help this young woman who was coming into their office and crying all the time. That's what they wanted to do. So they gave me all this medication over and over and over and over for years, But the problem is that they're still, doctors are still doing this and now they know better and they're still doing this. So a lot of people, you know, they've had an accident or something's happened to them and they're in a great deal of physical pain and that's real for them. And they're prescribed Oxycontin or something like that. And they start using it and wow, did they ever feel better? Yeah. So they keep using it. Right. And there are other ways that people can deal with pain. I just want to say that because I'm still in pain. I, I'm in pain with Crohn's disease. I, you know, it's like you'll you'll always be a cancer survivor. I, I will always have Crohn's. It doesn't have, it doesn't have a cure or uh, there's no known cause. There's no known cure. So, you know, you learn how to deal with it in a different way, and it is possible. Yeah, no, I acquired uh, stage three peripheral neuropathy. I have burning in my fingertips and numbness in my hands and feet and toes. Mm. And it's a life, it's it's a lifelong thing. And they, you know what they did? They want to give me uh, Lyrica, Gabapentin. Oh, try acupressure, acupuncture. 
nothing has worked and, and I, I'm breathing and I'm alive, but it's something that I am coping with and dealing with yeah. and trying to carry forward. Yeah. And I fully understand that. I, I, I'm really glad that you mentioned other types besides just drug addiction, gambling, smoking, drinking, uh, or alcoholism, uh, pornography video, um, because um, yep. we're coming out of, we're coming out of the pandemic. And, and yep. I like to say that it's, it's okay not to be okay because everyone's not okay. Everyone's emotional well being has been jilted uh, because we were restricted. We had to decide whether we're taking a vax or not taking a vax. Uh, we couldn't go anywhere we wanted at all the times. Uh, we're now some working from home. Some are working back at the office. Some are hybrid. Um, we've changed. And, uh, and also people, yeah. I will mention this is that people did not go get their checkups and their screenings. Um, and, and me as a, uh, as a cancer patient says, go get your screenings right now, time out, go get your mammogram, go get your prostate check, go get your cardio, go to the dentist, uh, go get your colonoscopy, go get checked. <laughs> so, because a lot of people yeah. skip them, but the big one right now, and I look at it from our, our younger, younger people's kids, um, boy, they lost a lot. They didn't go to school. They had to learn on this zoom thing and, uh, boy, are they set back, but emotional well-being. I, I have a 21 year old now. And so I see things through her eyes and it's a digital world that they live in. And um, boy, uh, emotionally, ev everyone's trying to get back on track uh, more than ever after this, uh, after what we've all lived through. So uh, yeah. And addiction easy. really, really rose during, oh. during the pandemic in so many ways. Food is one of the ways that, that addiction, you know, people ate their way through through the pandemic, sure. uh, none of us knew whether we were going to survive. Let's keep eating chocolate. What the hell, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Let's buy all the toilet paper off the shelf at the supermarket. So no one else can have them. I'm joking. I don't want to make light of it because this is a very serious no. topic, but you're right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now, let me, let me tell you, you've able to turn the corner and now you are, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to call you a noted expert here. But you've um, you have you wrote a book, uh, "Loving an Addict and Loving Yourself," one of four books, and you have yep. top. Yeah, show you can show it, it right there. Here. Yeah, we're going to feature that yep. in the show notes and the link to it. People can go get a copy. And um, so you have yep. ten top survival tips. Could you pick out a couple of the most important ones and share them? Yeah, um, I think uh, I think I have three favorites, and I'll okay I'll just. Um, one of the, the first one is that you can't change or you can't control or fix another person. So stop trying. Ooh. That's the first one. And there's a quote for every tip that I have from different people. And for this, uh, for this tip, it's from Robert Heinlein. I don't, I don't know if everybody knows who he was. He was a, a brilliant science fiction writer. He wrote so many books, but Stranger in a Strange Land mm. was one of his books. And I always felt like a stranger in a strange land. So mm. I really liked it. Anyway, he his quote is, never try to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and it annoys the pig. <laughs> so, you know, we can't change anybody else. What we if you've got an addict in your life, you can't make them stop using. You can't make them stop. What you can do is you can make it much more uncomfortable for them to continue doing it. And this is what I help family members learn about. Mm -hmm. so, um, so the next one is learn the difference between helping 
and enabling. So that, that tip is probably the most important one in the book. Um, so enab an enabling behavior is one that keeps an addict stuck in their addiction. So it's like giving money to an addict, you know, oh, mom, I need 20 bucks. So mom says, oh, okay, well, what's 20 bucks? So give them 20 bucks. And we know where that money is going to go. It's going to go down his throat, up his nose and his arm, you know, and, and if we can, it, money is not the only way that people enable an addict, but it's probably the biggest way that they do. And, and if you're, if you're letting an addict in active addiction live in your family home and use or drink in your family home and be obnoxious and punch holes in the walls when he's angry or, you know, if you're going to continue to let them live there rent free, that gives them more money for their addiction, you're maybe doing their laundry, you're buying the groceries and cooking their meals. Don't do that. Don't do that. So this book tells you how to stop enabling because you're just contributing to keeping the addict stuck. Why should they change? An enabled addict does not recover because really, why should they? They've got it going on. They got it made, except for the fact that they hate themselves. So what you want to do is learn how to actually help, how to set boundaries with consequences that mean something to the addict. And the most important message to give an addict, the addict that you love, Families need to love their addicts, but they need to be healthy when they do that. The, the message is we love you so much. And because we love you so much, we're not going to support you in your addiction anymore. We don't want to see you in addiction. It's a horrible life for you. It tears us apart watching you do this to yourself. So we're not going to support your addiction. When you're ready to be in recovery, then come to us, let us know that, and we'll be there for you. But if your choice is to continue to use or drink or stay in the basement and watch video games or, or, or if that's your choice, we are not going to support that anymore. And it's because we love you, not because we don't. It's not a punishment. It's to help you get well. Mm. So those are the kinds of helping behaviors that need to happen, that families need to learn how to do so that their addicts make a different choice. Wow, powerful. Just, I'm taking notes. Um, this is, I mean, I, I have to tell you, you're, you're helping not only speak to me and educate uh, uh, my audience. Um, I, I don't have a lot of experience in this area, but I do mentor and have coaching clients for survivorship, uh, a lot of cancer patients. But there are, you know, it's, this is helpful for me because I'm, I'm learning and I want to incorporate some of this uh, into, into, uh, into how I lead and teach and live. Um, I, I, out of your book, um, you actually mm -hmm. talk about the importance of self-care for those who are in relationships with yeah. addicts. I'd love you to expand yeah. upon uh, that because I think it's important. We, we hear self-care bountied about, but it means something um, in and, and your yeah. book. And I want you to tell it really does. And it was going to be the third tip that I was going oh, to talk okay. about. So I'm glad you brought it up. Okay. So the, the chapter on self-care, it's called know that self-care 
does not equal selfish. Because a lot of people get that one confused. If I take care of myself, I'm being selfish. No, you're not. And you're being healthy and you're being exactly the way you need to be, especially if you have an addict in your life. So I like to talk about the analogy that everybody's heard that, you know, when you're on the airplane and the steward, the, the, the flight attendant comes on the microphone and says, if we hit that turbulence, you know, the mask's going to drop down. Yeah. And they always say, put your own mask on first. Right. Because if you don't put your own mask on first, you're trying to get the mask on a baby or somebody who's sick and an invalid or somebody very old or something like that. You're trying to help them first. You're going to be on the floor of the, of the plane, not able to breathe. Right. So you need to make sure that you're breathing first and then you help them. It's really tempting to do it the other way around. And a lot of people who love addicts are putting the addicts first. They're putting the addicts' needs first. It's the worst thing you can do. You need to be a different kind of role model. You need to have your own life. Go golfing. Do what you love to do and, and role model that for the addict. To, be, to have the addict be the center of your life is not good for them. It creates an entitlement in them, and it's not good for you. So self-care, you know, when we think about self-care, there's the four pillars of self-care. So there's physical and mental and emotional and spiritual. And it's really important to know how to take care of yourself in all of those ways. So in my book, I talk about all of those ways to do that. I have to tell you, we're, we're like kindred spirits because in my book, um, I talk about finding your happy place for self-care. Mine happens to be the basketball court, but I could care less if it's cooking, hiking, jogging, traveling, music, yoga, it's all good. And then um, I agree with you. If you don't lift ourselves up, how can you actually lift up others? And you're That's constantly right. lifting up the addict at, at the expense of your own needs. And, and my caregiver wife yeah. gave up everything to help take care of me and my daughter and gave up her needs. So our, our caregiving and family members, they pay a price. And I think that's what it you're did. saying. But, but, you know, the people who are being caretaken also pay a price. Yeah. Because there's a certain amount of resilience that we all have. And even people who are sick have resiliency. And we need, I mean, I've been very sick in my life and I, I needed to develop myself and know that there were things I could do for myself. Maybe I was limited. I was much more limited than, than I am today, but I could still do things for myself. If I had had somebody who always did everything for me, I don't know if I'd be sitting here with you today. I, I, I hear you. you know? I'm with you. Um, you have to take some ownership, some uh, some own responsibility and accountability uh, for yourself and, and make the step forward. Um, and an addict could stay, want to choose to stay in that addiction, in that world. And um, until they make that choice to get help and get recovery, it's kind of like just knocking your head up against the wall. Uh, you're going to get a big headache um, for, as, as the family yeah. member or caregiver. All right. But so I it gotta... does feel, but it does feel really good when you stop. Yeah, your head against the wall. It does. It right? does. It does. Absolutely. Even if you put an ice pack on it to help you. Um, all right. I got a big, this is, 
this is a question that's, uh, can anyone, can you really ever get over addiction? Absolutely. I am living proof that you can get over addiction. All you have to do is make different choices every day. You have to want it. There's a, you know, when it, there's a saying in 12-step in programs, there's so many great sayings. One of them is you gotta wanna. You got to wanna. You got to want it. If you want recovery, you can have recovery. If you don't want recovery, you wanna stay in addiction, I feel for you. I, I've been where you are. I understand. But, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do for you except change some of the things that I'm doing if I'm in relationship with you. Yeah, it sounds like, you, you know, what you're, you're, you know, I agree with you that and I asked that question, not 100 percent knowing the answer, but you're living intentionally, meaningfully. Um, Absolutely intentional. I love that. Yeah, yeah that was the word. That was the word that came, came to me. This I have to tell you, I'm I'm, I'm the student here in this in this uh, podcast today uh, with you, Candice, and um, the services that you provide are vital. Um, I, I what was it like giving a TEDx talk? Was that the uh, coolest? Was that just exciting? Was, you know, it was so exciting. I was so nervous. Mm -hmm. I, I've told the story before. I was waiting in the wings to have my name called to go out. Um, <clears throat> I was so nervous that I wasn't even sure that my legs would carry me to the stage. Yeah. Oh my God. Once I started, I was fine, but it's nerve wracking waiting to go on. It was awesome. I'm so glad I did it. And um, if anybody's interested in doing a TEDx talk, I would look into it and do it. If it's, if it's a passion for you, if you've got something to say, if you've got a message, help people think about something in a different way, go for it. Yeah, I'm 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 planning on that for myself. It's on my list to do, Yay. and I'm going to do it. Yay. And um, it's, it's it's really really important. I watched your TEDx talk. I'm going to include it in the show notes and on when I uh, when we publicize the episode. I think it's incredible uh, for you oh, that you've well, done that. You. It's a major uh, kudo and accomplishment. So I want to applaud you. So we're all right. We're going to head you. down to the shining brightly moment. I'm for those of you on audio. I'm putting on my white and gold glasses that are reflecting beautifully <laughs> off the butterfly and off of Candace. You are in the shining brightly spotlight. I want people to know how they should best get in touch with you and, and then give some final comments. And we're going to take the show home. Okay. So my business is called love with boundaries because we need to love and we need to love with boundaries. Otherwise we get stomped on. So lovewithboundaries.com is the website. Please go to the website. If you go there and you sign up for my newsletter, then you can get um, a free report that's called The Seven Tips to Outsmarting Your Addiction. Mm. So if you've got an addict in your life, you can maybe give it to them and have them read it after you read it. Um, by the way, my book is not for the addict. Please don't buy my book thinking you're going to give it to the addict. Addicts hate my book. This is for you, the loved one. They get really mad at me because I'm talking about boundaries and, you know, addicts don't like hearing the word no. So don't give my book to an addict. Um, so, so loving an addict, uh, loving an addict, loving yourself is my book. Lovewithboundaries.com is my website. We um, offer a 30-minute free 
absolutely no strings attached consultation. We usually do it on Zoom. We've, we're international. We've got clients from so many different places in the world. Um, and if you are thinking that you would like to have some help, if you're even thinking about it, get in touch with us. If you're thinking about it, it means that you've been through the ringer already. You don't want to do this anymore. You want to find out how to make this stop for you, and it can stop. It can definitely get better. So you can get in touch with us on the website. There's a link to um, a questionnaire that you fill out. As soon as we get the questionnaire, we'll get in touch with you. And I think we'll give you, I'll give you that for your show notes as well. Oh, I, I appreciate um, that. So there's no uh, obligation. If you want to work with us, you do. If you don't want to work with us, you don't. And those people who are ready and follow the suggestions that we have, the results are just astounding. Well, wow. uh, I got to tell you, website, you actually have uh, seven tips, okay? And you can get a, a free 30-minute consultation, um, yeah. whether you're the addict or the family member. I, I, yeah. I have to tell you, this is a valuable resource. Um, Candice, I want to thank you. Um, this is mm -hmm. not a topic that um, I am that, uh, I'm much more educated now, and I'm just thrilled because we're going to help a lot of people together today just by actually, you know, speaking for these 30 minutes. And so I'm so um, glad. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. And I love the, as I said, the butterfly story that started us will we'll take us out. We're all going to kind of try to be butterflies as much as possible. So um, you can get uh, Howard Brown and uh, shiningbrightly.com. You can find my book. You can book me to speak on a podcast on a stage or actually even find this podcast. And um, if we shine brightly just a little bit each day, we actually can make the world a better place for ourselves, for others, and for our communities. Thank you. Thank you, Candice. You've been a beautiful guest and what a great, great show today. Thank you, Howard. Thank Bye, you. everyone. Bye, everyone.